Welcome to the Strength Connection Podcast, a show to share stories, insights, and experiences in strength physically, mentally, and spiritually. I'm Michael Krukowski, host of the Strength Connection, and I'm so grateful that you can join me today. So in these episodes, I connect with some of the most inspiring and successful individuals to chop it up and learn from true life experiences that have helped them become who they are, the strongest versions of themselves. One of the greatest ways I've always learned the most important lessons is through stories. We all have them, and they make us who we are. So let's dive in. Here we go. All right, it's hard for me to describe this guest I have today. I'm with Akshay Nanavate. The best way I can describe him is he is an insane, crazy man in the best possible way. He's an adventurist taking some of the most challenging feats that you can do and breaking through the perceived limits of physical, mental, and spiritual life. And Akshay is currently training for a polar expedition like no other. It's a 110-day, 1,700-mile solo journey through the Arctic. And I asked him to come on to ask the big question of why is he doing this? And his answers and message on the gift of suffering and gratitude, it gave me chills throughout this whole conversation. All right, so we're going to get right to it. Thanks so much. If you like this episode, you want to show the podcast love, please rate and review it wherever you're listening. And don't forget to subscribe. You can catch all new episodes that are dropped every week for you. All right. Thanks so much. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back, everybody. Akshay, what's up, man? How are you? Good, brother. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, dude. I've been so pumped to chat with you. Um, I got a chance to hear you a couple years ago and see all the insane stuff that you do in your <laughs> life. So to get to dive in a little bit more, it's uh, it's really uh, appreciative. So I'm grateful for you. Thank you, Ran. Absolutely. Yeah. So I had to I had to ask like when you're at like a cocktail party and like someone asks like what do you do like what's your what's your answer to them? That's always a weird one. To this day, my parents are like. Whenever they ask them, what does your son do? They're like, I don't really know how to answer that question. Uh, <laughs> at this point, my core focus is currently training for an expedition across Antarctica. So usually that answer is something along the lines of I'm an adventurer and a mm-hmm. polar explorer training for pretty big expeditions in the Arctic and the Antarctic. Yeah. And what's my the world u- right now. What's the usual response you get from people? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a unique character for sure. I'm definitely a unique character in many rooms that I walk into. So it definitely generates a lot of curiosity. And yeah. people are like, wait, what? Tell me more, you know? So <laughs> No doubt. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. When I first uh, heard you speak, uh, as I said a couple of years ago, when, uh, when BG had you in his partners group. And yeah. I think he kind of said something online like, this guy is batshit crazy, <laughs> but in the best possible way. And I think on the surface, it's it's very easy to see with the with the work that you've done with expeditions and extreme challenges to really, you know, challenge the physical, but also really the mental and the spiritual side. Like if you're if you're not in tune with that world, like maybe you might say, like, oh yeah, that's crazy. But as you see more about it, and I've you know got a chance to look into a lot of the work you do. I'm like, yeah, this guy is definitely crazy, but in the best possible way that we need more <laughs> of. Um, so you just you just came back from uh, a recent trip to the Arctic, right? Yeah. And that I was, was a 10-day Arctic- trip? Uh, it was uh, totally about 29 days on the ice in three separate expeditions, each close to 10 days. Right. Uh, it was supposed to be four, but I, and I was supposed to ski to the North Pole as well, but that one got canceled mm-hmm. through the factors outside my control. So it ended up being three expeditions. And then we were also doing some filming out there with the documentary crew and then just got to spend some time in Svalbard doing like little adventurous stuff like ice caving and cold mm-hmm. river dips and going to find polar bears and stuff like that. Right, right. <laughs> but it was 29 days on ice training for what's coming up in Antarctica right now. And so that is the big one, which it, tell me about this. This is the big venture so that's been a couple years in the making, that, right? Yeah, that everything I've been doing up to this point from expeditions in Antarctica, I lost a finger to frostbite a year and a half ago. 
uh, has been all leading up to this. And this will be a 110 day, 1700 mile solo coast to coast crossing of the entire continent of Antarctica. I'll be dragging about a 400 pound sled for 10 to 12 plus hours a day for hundred and for almost four months across the continent. And when accomplished, it'll be the first ever human powered ski crossing of the continent, meaning no dogs, no kites, uh, a true, just man hauling coast to coast of the continent. Yeah. Wow. So so the, 1700. 1700 miles 110 yeah. days from there that is really long. yeah so there there's so many things i want to pull and uh you know come from i guess the big question that probably everybody is like why you know why do something <laughs> like this right like I've, i guess just a little backstory like has extreme challenges like this has this always been you know something that has been kind of a part of of your ethos or was this something that kind of came about more over time because it's not I guess it's not the the normal thing. Like we need to challenge ourselves, but to go completely into something that, that no yeah. other person has ever done before, it's a little bit different. For sure. It certainly wasn't always me. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I grew up to great parents. At the time they weren't wealthy, but we certainly weren't poor. Middle class, you know, like I never really knew struggle, could not have asked for a better life, you know, moved around from India to Singapore to the US. And in the US, when I moved here, I got very heavily into drugs, into alcohol. And I had the same version of me that I am today in the, in, in that I was the one pushing the edge, pushing the line. So drugs was my vehicle of expression. So like, for example, me and one other friend, we started moving from marijuana and alcohol to harder stuff. He ended up ODing and dying. And that was like, I was heading down that path until I saw the movie Black Hawk Down. Have you ever seen it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, that movie, yeah. it touched my soul and changed the trajectory of my life forever. As you know, it's a true mm -hmm. story. And just watching that movie, watching these men, the, the courage, the sacrifice, the willingness to put your life on the line for another human being, it triggered something in me that almost overnight, I stopped doing drugs and decided to join the Marines. And in the Marines is where I first started to learn the beauty of suffering, the value of adversity, the value of putting your life on the line for somebody else and living for something greater than yourself. Because in the Marines, nobody gives a shit about how good you feel that day, right? What matters is the men in the mission. And that's profoundly beautiful, while at times absolutely miserable because <laughs> you're in yeah. it and you're like, Fuck, I just want to sleep today. But yeah. uh, but for overall, like absolutely beautiful to be able to live in an institution where the good of the group matters more than yourself. You know, so mm. that's, that's what planted the seed for everything I am today. You know, it was birthed in the Marines for sure. Before that, I was terrified of everything. Like I remember my mom telling me when I was a kid, she tried to get me on a Ferris wheel, let alone a roller coaster. I was scared of a Ferris wheel, scared of open water, scared of heights, like you name it, right? Terrified of all of it. And the Marines is when I started to explore those edges. And after joining, I then outdoor sports became a very positive playground to look for that same kind of thing that I was finding through drugs, but now pushing that edge. So every mm. fear that I was terrified of like heights. So I went rock climbing, mountain climbing, skydiving, scared of tight spaces. So I went caving, scared of open water. Mm. So I went scuba diving and cave diving, right? Systematically confronting my fears. And one thing led to the other. I did six years in the Marines, deployed to Iraq as an infantry non-commissioned officer, where one of my jobs out there was to walk in front of our vehicles looking for bombs before they could be used to oh, kill Jesus. my fellow yeah. Marines. <laughs> yeah. So dangerous job, as you might imagine, uh, that like it profoundly, I mean, obviously challenging, but an experience that I will for sure treasure in terms of the experiences it gave me about not just myself, about the human condition and what we're capable of both in the negative sense and in the positive sense. Uh, but I struggled a bit after the war, you know, diagnosed with PTSD, depression, heavy, heavy, heavy drinking, and was on the verge of suicide one one day after five days of binge drinking was seconds away from picking up a knife and slitting in my wrists. And that was 
the moment that led me to start this climb out of the abyss. And it took a long time. It certainly wasn't like an aha moment that changed everything. It was a long, mm. rock, slow climb out of the abyss. But this and then that what was continued to further lead me into like got me back into adventure sports that I had started to get into, lost my mm. way a little bit, and then got in back into it and found my salvation through it. You know, it's been my place of peace. It's a deeply, deeply spiritual experience to to yeah. to go through these journeys. And now it's become my world and my soul. That's a crazy story. You know, it's interesting. Black Hawk Down, uh, Adam Rodriguez, who I've had on the podcast, um, he's uh, owner of Metaplexus. I was at a summit with him and he was part of that regime that was in the Black Hawk Down that it was made out, um, no that way. the movie was made about. And a lot of similar experiences that uh, mm-hmm. that you went through kind of coming home and then finding his pathway yeah. from there. So what do you think it was like at that time? With, like, were you kind of almost like looking for something to kind of pull you out of that kind of state? Or was it like when this movie came about and like changed you right away, what was it about that time or, or that movie? You know, it's it specifically, I mean, there's that movie many, many, many scenes in it very, very powerful, but specifically that scene where Gary Gordon, and Randy Sugar, they were two Delta snipers in the chopper and they volunteer to go on the ground to set up a defensive perimeter, just two men knowing that thousands of armed enemy personnel are coming their way. No idea when reinforcements would arrive to, to protect the second Blackhawk and Michael Durant, who was in that Blackhawk. Yeah. And they both died. Uh, and Michael Durant is still alive today because of what they did. And they volunteered to go down, yeah. right? And knowing the odds were heavily stacked against them. And they posthumously received the Medal of Honor. And just, I mean, the it was awe-inspiring to see the kind of, I mean, I get goosebumps talking about it right yeah. now, like the kind of courage to put yourself in that situation, for another man, they didn't know, right? And they didn't know, they didn't know who Michael Durant was, but it didn't matter. He's one of theirs, one of their one of their brothers in arms down there. They needed to do do give everything, including ultimately their life for that for that brother. And that was, I mean, as soon as the movie was done, I, I, the, the buddy in fact, in fact, I still remember that day, a bunch of us were going to go get fucked up that evening, like yeah. do drugs and, and do and drink and stuff. And one buddy of mine wanted to go watch Black Hawk Down. Nobody would go with him. So I was like, all right, I'll go with you. And right after that, I dropped him to his house. He had the book Black Hawk Down, read the book, borrowed it from him, and then just started devouring book after book if, about military and life in combat. And, uh, that changed everything for me. You know, when you read these books, of course, we all like war is this, extreme um experience of the human condition it reveals the absolute worst and the horrific things we do to each other but it also reveals the absolute best Mm. where people sacrifice their lives for something else and put you know go through hell for something else for a cause separate from all the politics of all the nonsense i'm talking around we're fighting for each other we're doing some good we want to do some good now of course there's bad people in every context but most of us out there even when i would deploy in iraq we wanted to do some good and so that was what inspired me to join to so, I mean, I was living a selfish and worthless existence, right? Like, right. I didn't give a shit about myself, about what I was doing to my parents, because I got caught doing a bunch of stuff, put them through hell, and was just a meaningless life. Uh, yeah. And that was to to then be ex- experience that, it uh, it moved me to my soul. It took a while just to get in, because I have a blood disorder that two doctors told me would kill me in boot camp. So I had to fight my way in just to get into the Marines. But I was, you know, that was my right. condition. That was what I wanted to do. And honestly, if it wasn't a post 9-11 world, I wouldn't have got in because this blood disorder, I'm also flat feet. Oh, right. Yeah. But they, but they needed people to to come in and and help me out. Dumb kid wants to go. We'll find a room for you, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll figure it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, know, it's interesting, actually, like with, with your background, kind of, I came from a similar, you know, uh, path where everything was just very good. And 
a lot of my friends kind of the same thing. And it's mm-hmm. almost, a, it's a weird kind of demographic because things aren't like bad. They're not like amazingly great. They're just kind of like in the middle. Nothing's too like, you know, one way or the other. And it can almost be a very kind of like, what am I doing type situation? You start experimenting with stuff and it can be very yeah. selfish. Like I'm just going out to get fucked up and just like have a good time. Then all of a sudden you see something like that, where somebody's putting the, you know, giving their life for somebody that they don't really know, but it's part of the bigger mission. Like that can hit you instantly right there. That's exactly what happened to you. Absolutely, man. And I think that's why, like, I mean, I, when I do talks about this, number one thing I say is, you know, for, especially if you're growing up in, in middle-class affluent world, you have to put your kids in situations where they suffer and they learn to live for something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't tell you how often I see kids who are overspoiled, overprotected, and it's, then it's not even their fault. They turn out miserable in life, unable to handle any adversity. They have like their social skills are poor. And it's like, what are you doing when you, when you overprotect them to no end, you're, you're scarring them. You think you're helping them, but you're not, you know? And in Mm -hmm. India, it's, it's kind of a cliche that Indian parents are even like more overprotective. And I see it all the time with extended family and with people in India, uh, and, and there's a, there's a truth to that kind of stereotype because it's true, especially <laughs> affluent in India. Like they have maids and people protecting their kids and you're not helping them. Like I see the effects of little cousins of mine who have seen grown up to now, to, like from a young age to now grown up and it's damaging. They have zero, they're not able to handle anything life throws at them. Mm-hmm. So you gotta, you gotta learn to suffer and suffer for something, yeah. be part of something bigger than you, you know, it teaches yeah. you about you and it's it's even selfishly it's a better way to live you know if you want to look at it from a selfish perspective it's a far more profoundly beautiful and mentally spiritually fulfilling way to live when you live for something greater than you yeah you know it's interesting when um when i've heard you speak before and kind of as you said at the time after you've gone through this darkness then going into skydiving and kind of all these other things kind of transcending your fears from that i think it's so powerful of these things we want to build a strong mindset or a strong spirit. And one of the best ways that we found is doing it through physical pursuits of pushing your body, you know, to these, to these limits of like challenging it. And cause I always had like a little bit of that struggle with kind of mindset practices, like meditations. Like if you're trying to like overcome a challenge, but you're sitting in a nice 72 degree room, like with your eyes closed, like meditating, like everything's really good at that moment. Like it's hard to put yourself in that mindset. Was that something that you were kind of trying to pursue and work with as far as like getting into these, you know, these extreme challenges? For sure. You know, through a lot of life experience, I discovered that because when you push yourself physically, it's the only realm where you're tapping into mind, body, and spirit simultaneously. Like you said, meditation. And don't get me wrong. I have a consistent meditation mm-hmm. meditation practice. It's great. And it can be very, very challenging to sit still. And I even pursued that. Like, as I think you may know, you probably heard from that interview. I spent but one time seven days and then 10 days in complete darkness and isolation. Mm-hmm. Like, you cannot see your hand or feel darkness. You're just sitting in a dark room 24 hours a day for 10 days. So experiencing that stillness is profoundly beautiful too. But when you push yourself in the physical realm, you're tapping into all three arenas, mind, body, and spirit. And that allows you to build something and find something within yourself that you might not know you had, but you got to go to war with yourself to find it. Like one of my big beefs with the personal development realm is this like incredible emphasis on overcome your limiting beliefs first. Fuck that. Like you don't have to listen to your mind. You go to war with yourself. And then as one of my many mantras is that belief is built on the battlefield. 
You know, go to war with yourself. Put yourself in an arena that you don't know if you're going to succeed. I can't tell you how many times I've failed at various physical challenges I've done, but who gives a shit? I'm going to go back into the arena and go back to war, right? And then you cultivate the self-belief. This whole emphasis on overcoming your limiting beliefs places a reality and a focus on your mind is who you are, but we're not our minds. We're not our thoughts. We're not our feelings. We're not our experiences. We're the thinker of our thoughts, the feeler of our feelings, and the experiencer of our experiences, right? There's a space between, I mean, if we were our thoughts and our feelings, we'd all be a neurotic mess. As you know, right. they're constantly changing. <laughs> but we all have those thoughts where like, you know, just a, the, the cliche example, I was driving, somebody cuts me off, and I'm like, fuck that guy, I'm going to kill him. Does that mean I'm a murderer? No, right. right? I have a thought, but that's not who I am. So if you if you start putting so much emphasis and listening to your minds and your thoughts and, your, and the feelings that are happening there, you start identifying with and it becomes you instead of saying this can happen, but that's not who I am. And so you build yourself, you create yourself by going to war with yourself, by putting yourself in a situation where one party wants to quit and the other wants to fight. And in that war, you find something. You're opening doors into the human soul that you cannot open unless you suffer, right? You have to battle the dragon to find the treasure. And so inevitably, like... (laughs) Inevitably, it led me to this degree of now we're doing Antarctica. But the more I kept pushing the line, the further I kept wanting to explore and see. Because while the suffering continues to get more and more and more intense, so does the rewards on the other side of it. And that those rewards are, I mean, you can't even describe it in words how profoundly beautiful they are. Yeah. Yeah. Go to war with yourself. That is such a that's such a powerful statement right there. Because it is, it's it's oftentimes we we get in our own mind if we have to tackle all these things before we go and we do the thing. When in reality, you go do the thing and then you're going to figure it out yeah. along that line. As I, I think you mentioned in that interview I, I heard from is, is suffering, it's, it's the means, it's not the purpose. Like you don't know sure. what's going to happen from it, but step into it and you're going to find out where it is. And I guess that's where I love that word transcendence. Like that's where you're going to find like what you need to. And I think that's kind of the essence of getting into the spiritual strength that I think we all are looking to achieve. Like there's not really a, there's not a workout plan to get spiritual strength. There's not like a, there's not three sets of five that you can go and do this. Like you have to put yourselves in these challenges. And so when you pick these challenges to do, I know right now, the big one is, uh, is Antarctica, but as you've done these other ones, did you have a method or like a specific way that you picked different challenges or did you just kind of like, yeah, that seems like something that is really scary to do. So yeah, it might be a good thing to do. Yeah. Mine was a little bit more random at first, just exploring every edge I could find. Right. I I mean, outdoors, nature is such a beautiful playground because it, it doesn't act out of malice or intent when it's hostile. Unlike human beings, we do a lot of evil shit to each other. And I've seen it, let alone in war, right? I've worked in post-conflict zones. I've volunteered with uh, survivors of sex trafficking, with former child soldiers. And I've seen the darkness of the human condition. And it's pretty horrific, to say the least, what, we, what we're capable of doing to each other. But nature just is. So in its isness, it acts as a mirror to the soul. And so that's why I love playing in that, in that playground, because it's a mirror to you and it, and you have to, you will find your, you'll, you'll find something within yourself as you go there, right? So, Outdoor sports became my vehicle, and I was just at first jumping into everyone I could find. I mean, like I said, you name it, right? Caving, cave diving, ice diving, ice climbing, mountain climbing, almost all the ones you can think of. I I was blessed to have the opportunities to go there. But what drew me to polar travel and specifically, I think it's best summarized by a polar explorer from the golden age of exploration. He said, polar exploration is at once the cleanest and most isolated way of having a bad time, which has been devised. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and, and, and I could That's not. That's as beautifully articulated it, as possible. It perfectly summarizes the essence of folder exploration. So what drew me to it, as weird as that may sound, is that. Because unlike, let's say, the often the comparison is, let's say, Everest or mountain climbing. And I've done a lot of mountain climbing. Mountain climbing is far more dangerous, for sure but it's not nearly as much suffering, mental or physical. You know, when I, like, for example, when I was climbing Denali, there's on the 16 ridge at 16,000 feet, you're, you're on this thin ridge line with thousand foot plus drop on each side. So when you're on that, your mind has to be in the moment. The environment forces you into flow, right? And as you're going up and down the mountain, the views change, the terrain changes. So it's a little bit more dynamic, which makes it mentally engaging. In polar travel, you are just skiing in empty white nothingness day after day after day doing the same damn thing you're not off i mean sometimes we do take storm days but you're not taking rest days to acclimatize like you do on a mountain there's it's not dynamic and because it's just flat white nothingness the environment doesn't force you into flow your mind wanders and that is brutally challenging because your mind will take you places right and sometimes you could be skiing an hour could feel like a lifetime when you're out there in that nothingness whereas if you're in an environment like a thin ridge line you lose sense of time because you're in that flow right time right. doesn't matter you're just thinking about that next step in front of you with polar travel you have to control that you have to control your mind to bring yourself into the present which is far easier said than done and that's the spiritual pursuit that's why it is in term it's again not as dangerous as mountain climbing but in terms of the mental and physical unrelenting grind that that is polar travel yeah. that to me is the draw and that's that's where it becomes that very spiritual experience of finding something within yourself to transcend the suffering to transcend that struggle to to bring your mind out of the um out of that realm where it's controlling you and where you control it where you can find that stillness right and again you'll find stillness for a moment then it wanders again then you have yeah. to bring it back or you have to choose where you direct it and that constant inner battle you're going through it's a uh, while again very very challenging it's very beautiful because it teaches you so much about not just yourself about but about the human condition and what we're all capable of you know that's yeah. why i go like you're opening doors into the human soul that so rarely ever get to get ever get to be opened and yeah. for me a big part of the responsibility is bringing the wisdom back from the edge and now sharing it with experiences like this like being on the podcast you're doing yeah. public speaking events you know and because i get to go so far out onto the edge in these very 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 extreme circumstances I get to open new doors and are otherwise open. So I get to access new wisdom that isn't otherwise accessed. And I don't say this in egotistical because it's not about me. It's about like a message is delivered through me through these, through these arenas that I get to play in. And that allows me to share things that I would not be able to share had I not gone there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the endurance aspects of what you're talking about, like I could see like just watching some of the videos that you have, you know, put up from polar like my my hands are sweating seeing some of the storms and stuff like that that are oh, going in there it's the, like a <laughs> polar storm is one of the most unforgiving savage oh my, yeah i'm like i'm sitting there like the first time i saw like alex honnold do the free solo and i i'm like clutching my like chair <laughs> watching it like holding yeah. my breath i'm like i know he's okay but it's still it kind of taps in yeah. but i can see the difference like of climbing a mountain like it's you do you get in that flow like you get in that flow feeling and i would i would assume too like on that too, like, you know, like you're getting somewhere, like you can see exactly progress, where see, on like exactly. a polar expedition, that's like a purgatory, like everything's <laughs> yeah. the exact same exactly. where exactly. it's, uh, I can imagine the, the physical side of it. I totally, cause that's it, but the mental side of the endurance of staying within kind of your own, yeah. or do you, do you allow your mind to wander when you're down there? Do you really need to like keep a, a specific focus? Like, how does that work? 
Great question. You know, there's value in both. There's like, there's two kinds of meditation and this becomes its own meditation. People often think of meditation as where you're just silencing your mind and, you know, anchoring your thoughts to your breath or a mantra or something. And that is one, but the other one is where you actually let your mind wander and see where it takes you. And there's not a, like one's not better or worse. Each one has its place. So there are times where you really want your mind to wander. And I want to see what's going to show up, you know? Mm. And to me, I mean, sometimes it's me talking to myself sometimes, and we all have our own version of what this word means, but it's God speaking to me, you know, and you hear things like only in real silence, can you start to hear because otherwise you're, you're no longer distracted by the, the world, by all these tools or computer or phone, even other people. And again, it's a beautiful thing. Like I have great friends here. I'm connected, but in real silence, that's also a big draw to why I went to the darkness retreat and spend 10 days in complete darkness, because in that silence, you get to start to hear things that you don't otherwise get to hear. And Antarctica mm-hmm. is its own version of that. And it's a, uh, it's, it's wild to, to see where your mind will take you and to see what's revealed to you. I call them spiritual downloads that I get, you know, yeah. through, through these experiences. And every time I'm out there, whether it be in the darkness or in the Arctic uh, that I just came from, some spiritual download will hit. And it's, um, the, the difference between a spiritual download and like a conceptual understanding is I might have read the concept in a book or maybe heard it before, but sure. when it's, a, when you experience it, now it's visceral. It transcends conceptual thought, which, which has its own limitations and it goes into a knowing, right? There's a difference between a thinking and a knowing. Now it's a knowing and it's visceral. It's in the subconscious. It's part of your soul. It's part of your body. And you get to, you get to, to feel it. You get to be it. And that's a very, very mm-hmm. cool experience. And then you get, then I get to share it and, and ultimately, no matter what I share, like even in this podcast or, you know, yeah. I just did a couple of speaking gigs before going to India it, and it, so it, the, it can move somebody hearing it. But ultimately, reading a book, hearing a podcast, listening to talk can only do so much. You have to take the insight, take the aha. And obviously, it's incredibly valuable, like getting that insight is valuable because it can open, open a door, but then you have to walk through it, right? You have to go in there to experience it yourself. And it doesn't have to be crossing Antarctica or going into the Arctic, but find your own version of that, right? And find your own version of a polar storm. And everybody's got polar storms that often either life is throwing at you or you're seeking. But in those storms, you will learn when you put yourself in those situations enough to stay still in the face of those storms. Yeah. And that's what, that's what the spiritual journey is, you know? Yeah. That's so interesting. The know, knowing is really you get a feel of a physical feeling attached to the knowledge that you put into your brain. I never thought of it that way, but that's really interesting. I've There's done no, that. I've done that right similarly now. with uh, like with the work that I've done with clients and we've chatted about like where taking a question or taking like something that you're trying to work through or just or a prayer or something like and bring that into your physical practice and keep that in your mind. Now, I first heard it from John Donaher, the famous jujitsu coach. So he does that with his guys when they're going into, um, you know, championship matches is like, you know, getting the, the meditation practice through when they're rolling. If you can keep that same focus while your heart rate's going crazy, a guy's got you in a crazy headlock and you're trying to get out of it and you can still keep you know, that frame of mind in there, it, it transcends from, you know, just, yeah, this is a good piece of advice or yeah, this is a good golden nugget to now I'm really applying this into my life. Absolutely. And when there's a knowing, you know, like a thought has a space, because as I said, conceptual thought has limitations because all conceptual thought, this is getting very spiritual again, is it's a construct. What I mean by that is in the simplest way, for example, I see your shirt and I'm like, your shirt is blue. 
well, how do I know that shirt is blue? Because I was taught at a young age, that color, that thing I'm seeing is blue, right? So that's a construct that's been assigned to me. Anytime I attach words onto things, it's a construct. It's conceptual thoughts ultimately shaped by constructs. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing. It's just is. That just is how reality engages, right? How we engage with reality. But when you transcend from a thought to a knowing, it's now there is no space. It just is. So it's almost like you can think of uh, uh, the, the difference between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, right? If a shark attacks me, I'm not thinking about what should I do? I'm reacting, right? Like it's instant. It's reacting. Whereas if I'm doing a math problem, I'm thinking about it slower, right? So cons- the, 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 as I talk about in Fibonacci, the quote unquote human brain, the prefrontal cortex is slower. The subconscious brain is faster. It just, it, it engages, right? So a knowing is a thought has a space. That space takes up more time, take more energy, and it isn't as embedded into the soul, into the reality that when when there is when there is a knowing. That's why I love that scene in the Matrix when Morpheus is fighting Neo, and he says, "You're faster than this. Don't think you are. Know you are." Yeah. And I love that scene. Right. That's what it is, and that's the that's the value in when you do that. It becomes a part of you, and it's no longer something you're just thinking. It's no longer just a thought. It it's you. It's it's mm-hmm. embedded. Yeah. How does that work when you're down in the polar since it's such a mentally enduring thing of being like, of not react? I'm sure there's times when things are not going exactly the way that you expect them to. And it could be very easy to, I guess the best word is panic in that moment. Like, do you do like, is there a specific, was that kind of one of the reasons why you did the darkness retreat to kind of mentally prep yourself for these expeditions? All of these previous ones are like, I didn't, I'm not doing this. This is not my first expedition ever going into 110 days across Antarctica. Right. Right, To your point, point, like a polar storm is a very panic inducing experience. (laughs) It's very panic inducing and you have to learn to stay still in it. But I've been in many, many storms up to this point. In fact, the Arctic was the first time I I was alone in these storms. I'd been on many different polar storms, but with the team. So I needed to go out there and be there alone. And thankfully, I got to experience some very intense storms. And it was my first time being there completely alone. And you're alone, right? There's nobody else out there. If shit goes wrong, things are going to go horribly wrong. And so in the, but I was perfectly calm. And, and, and that's the result of having bit my, put myself in multiple storm situations mm-hmm. and you start small, right? It can be as simple as it's raining outside. Let me go like if, like in a big storm, just if it's raining, it can feel a little crazy, right? Go yeah. out there. And like I, I was in Vermont training a few winters ago and storms would hit and I would go into the cold water and do a cold water dips while waves were crashing and storms mm-hmm. were hitting. And I would literally repeat out loud, out loud to myself, I am the eye of the storm or be the eye of the storm, right? The eye of the storm is the center. Yeah. And training myself in a relatively controlled environment to, 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 to be still in the face of that chaos. So put yourself in, in, a, in a safe, and like you won't be stupid about it, of course. Start safe, and then you expand. So now when I'm out there in the Arctic completely alone, I'm ready for it. And so when this wind, like wind changed direction and started hit, slamming my tent at 59 miles an hour from the side, I was literally inside my tent holding, like holding my back up because the tent was basically blown forward like this, but I was calm. You know, I was yeah. just said, there's nothing more I could do right now. I've set up my tent and just kind of, and it was intense. Like there was definitely, I was definitely intense You know, <laughs> out there. I'm like, this is intense, but I was smiling because I was ready for it. I'd put myself in those situations enough. And right. again, this, this, I mean, a literal storm, but think about this in the context of life storm. Yeah. right mm-hmm. we all happen we all experience that you're going to lose somebody you love things are going to happen that you weren't prepared for but when you train to be the eye of the storm in any context and you can even do this in an emotional context like we all struggle with various emotions that hit us hard right so i've struggled with a lot with survivors guilt after the mm-hmm. war and so what i do what i learned over the years through all this life experience was that 
that emotion was one that was would hit me hard. So instead of letting the emotion force itself upon me, let me put myself in that emotion and train myself to be with it. So what I would do, for example, is I would consciously watch scenes from war movies like Black Hawk Down and many others, Band of Brothers, knowing they would make me cry, knowing they would trigger this very intense state. And I would put myself in that state consciously so I could train to be with that emotion. It's like if I want to train my biceps to get stronger, I do bicep curls, right? Right. Mm -hmm. You're training a physical muscle, but this is the same way. So I always tell people, like, if, if you're struggling with, let's say, anger, put yourself consciously in a controlled environment and anger, practice being with it so you're no longer a slave to that anger. Because for most of us, the emotion hits and we're fully a slave to it, right? We react to that emotion instead of responding to it. And there's a huge difference. But Mm -hmm. if you can master that space, as Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. Yeah. In that space lies our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Mm -hmm. So there's a space between the stimulus of the emotion and our conscious response of it, but you master that space by training in it. So that's, so when I say train in the storm, I don't just mean a literal storm, like in all those storms, whatever version of storm life is throwing at you, train in it emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically go there. And so when life punches you in the face, which it would all, which it inevitably will, you're ready for it. And you can smile in the face of that. You know, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's kind of learning how to integrate those things that you're scared of into the, exactly. into the practices that you're doing. I just recently did this in some sensory deprivation work of, you know, getting into some breathing. And I mean, it's as dark as you can. It's only an hour. It's not 10 days in there, but yeah. all of a sudden you can get some of the visuals. You can get some of the things that start popping up on you. And the first instinct of going in is to, go back what's going yeah. on here and it's yeah. kind of like yeah. holy shit it's like no like embrace it it's going to happen you're in a safe environment like you've done this it's controlled yeah. and then all of a sudden you allow it to come and I think the important thing for me when i went into those uh practices is to not be forcing an outcome like uh, you want to maybe get an answer you want to get some things but to train yourself to say like i'm not forcing an agenda into what i'm doing like just go into it and do the best to stay within that and then kind of see what happens see what's revealed to you absolutely yeah Yeah. it's a powerful thing to do so i wanted to ask you more about your experience in the darkness retreat um because i first heard about this type of therapy treatment and stuff uh aubrey marcus did a really interesting documentary on in his experience and he actually went into the darkness after my interview after he interviewed me on the show did you really oh that's amazing yeah Yeah. he went Um, into the same place i went into in germany okay so i was gonna i was gonna ask how you how you heard about it and how you got into it because i didn't really know much about this practice but apparently it's been something that's been around forever I stumbled into it. I was originally going to go. So after I'd gone through a very challenging divorce, I broke my divorce, uh, sobriety. Needless to say, I didn't like that about myself. So I wanted to go do some new inner work. I wanted to find new answers and be still, right? Uh, I'd done a lot of physical challenges, but I wanted to now experience stillness. And stillness is, I think, I, I think it's one of human beings' greatest fears. And it's not a fear. If you ask people, most people what they're scared of, they wouldn't answer stillness. But, you know, Carl Jung once said that people will do anything, no matter how absurd, to avoid facing their own soul. And I don't think you I I think it could not be more evident in in the human experience to see the truth of that sentiment. Right. So I wanted to experience stillness. I was going to go into these Vipassanas, these silent retreats. I don't know if you're familiar. They're Mm -hmm. much more common, the silent retreats, like these 10 day silent retreats. And while researching it, I stumbled into the concept of a darkness retreat. And immediately I was hooked because obviously it's taking a silent retreat to the kind of next level. But what drew me in is unlike in the silent retreat where you're still seeing in darkness, you're you're shutting off one of the primary ways in which we engage with the world, our visual sense. So even in the simplest way, I can look at that thing and say, that's a wall, it's a window, but my consciousness has somewhere external to go. In the darkness, it doesn't. So without any external 
avenue for consciousness to latch onto, you're forced to go within. And you're going to open doors within yourself you've never opened before with that level of stillness. And the challenging but beautiful part is you don't know what's coming through those doors. There's going to be something beautiful and something extremely dark. And often it's a combination of both. But when you bring it to the surface, you can now do something with it. Because as Carl Jung also beautifully says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Yeah. But you have to take the time for that stillness to make the unconscious conscious. And so that's what drew me in to go find some new answers and explore some new places within myself. Yeah. And so I did it once uh, for seven days. That was a few years ago. And then just uh, a few months ago, I did it another, another time for 10 days. Yeah. Cause seven wasn't enough. Yeah. To I go wanted more. to go a little deeper. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what, I mean, walk me through that. Like, was it, I mean, was there certain points, like how many days, like, was it like in between, it was a certain amount of time before things started to really kind of open up and change. Like, cause I know at some point, like the, the brain actually releases DMT yes. when you get into sit in a, in a, uh, in a simulation like that. So what was that experience? Like, was there specific moments that were really more powerful than others during it? Or was it kind of a constant stream? No, for sure. There were some moments, both times, especially the second time there that left me bawling in tears. Like I had what I perceived to be as crazy may sound a conversation with God that left me bawling in tears. And you see, lights in the darkness, right? Like you said, your brain releases DMT. So the lights are as real as lights that I'm looking at here. Mm -hmm. And those lights will take shapes. And I've had, you know, I've had friends who've been in there, everybody experiences their own version of this. So you can call it what you want. If you don't believe in the, in the, in the construct of God, you can say that it's the subconscious speaking to you, however you want to say it, the universe speaking to you, but the lights will reveal shapes. And this is coming back to your point of what you said, you just surrender, you know, you surrender to the darkness and see what it will reveal to you. And and there were some moments far more intense than others. It's kind of like a you're the, the whole experience is essentially you're either sleeping, uh, you know, first day and a half. Most of us are in some degree of sleep debt. So the first day and a half, like I was just sleeping a ton and I would wake up and be like, this is sweet. I don't have shit to do. There's no to-do list. I'm just going <laughs> right. back to sleep, you know? And then finally you eventually have got slept enough and now you wake up and you're like, shit, I don't have shit to do. <laughs> so, right. yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. so doing that, meditating, uh, of course. <laughs> and then I would often like, especially this last time, be pacing back on forth on the yoga mat and speaking out. The first time I chose to be silent, the second time I, I chose to speak out loud, both very different experiences. Um, mm. And I would speak out loud to myself in this act of creation. Because the second time I went in, it wasn't so much to heal from the past. It was more to train for Antarctica and the solitude I'll experience right. out there. So it was more sort of an eye to the future rather than healing from the past, which is what I wanted to go in the first time. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, the light shows you experience in some of the meditations are Oh man, like some of the most intense I've ever experienced, you know, some yeah. not so much, but everyone, but one of them, some of them will, some of them were really, really, really powerful. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about it. Cause it's something I've personally been, um, aiming to think like, cause it scares the shit out of me to do that, it's, which uh, I'm like, and, <laughs> and in my head, that usually means, all right, maybe you need to lean into this a little bit more. Um, cause that was one of the lines that I heard, uh, that Aubrey said in his documentary, very similar to Carl Jung's quote of, how scared we are to be alone with our own mind for more yeah. than a couple seconds. Yeah. And it's powerful. So I assume, I mean, I mean, going on a, on a trip like this that you're going to do, I mean, you're going to probably be the most isolated person in the entire world. Geographically, I will be the most isolated human being on earth. Like yeah. for not surround, not any other human being around me for hundreds of miles. Yeah. Are, are you, are you naturally more introverted like that? Like, are you good like being solar? Is that something you've really trained yourself to be a lot more comfortable with yourself in the environment? 
Definitely trained myself. I would have, people would have always labeled me an extrovert. Like we moved around a lot as a kid, you know, as I said, from uh, India to Singapore to Austin to Minneapolis, moved around a ton in the US. And I always was really comfortable making friends in every new move. Uh, over the years, I've gotten a little bit more introverted. Like I'm very comfortable around people. I have a great network of friends that put me in a room. I'm comfortable talking to people. But I've now over the years become more like I love both. I love the connection of being around tribe and beautiful people, but I also incredibly value my solitude. And that wasn't always the case, especially like people have asked me what got you into drugs in the first place. And a big part of that was as a young kid at 13, 14, when I first got in, I think it was 15 or 16, who moved around to four different cities, three different countries in the young age. I was very lost and I was seeking validation. I was seek. I didn't know who I wanted to be, you know? So like, I don't blame my friends. I take responsibility for my behavior, but as a 15 year old kid, you're very impressionable. And especially having moved mm -hmm. around a lot while being very adaptable, which allowed me to make friends, the sort of shadow side of that strength is you're very impressionable. So my friends got into drugs. I got into drugs. Mm -hmm. I pushed the line and in getting into heavier drugs, you know? So I wasn't always this person to who could love being in my own skin and enjoy that journey. Uh, it definitely got cultivated over a lot of yeah. life experience. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's tough. I mean, specifically at that time, I mean, it's half trying to fit in, half trying to find your own individuality. So it's like, yeah. oftentimes you just go down these paths that hopefully, you know, people get out of at certain points when you're going down yeah. that path. Sadly, a lot of people don't as that's well. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's definitely, it's, you know, that's an interesting time. So with the, I want to ask you a little bit about, you talked a little bit about your, um, you've studied method acting as kind of a part of forming kind of your identity of like going into the shift. And I was like, this absolutely makes sense. Cause I would assume to do an extreme adventure like this, or you really, a lot of things that you've done before, even, you know, climbing high peaks, like all this stuff, like you can't be like the same person that you are like with your family and your kids and stuff like that going around. You probably have to put yourself in a different mindset. So how did you get into studying more of that work with method acting? It was, I've always, movies have been one of my favorite form of sort of relaxation if uh, to shut off. And as a young, young kid, I still am to this day and after a hard day training, I enjoy movies and stuff. And then I never had really like thought about the craft of acting as an avenue, but I can't remember what, I think it was, uh, I think it was something how I first got into it. It was Daniel Lee Lewis. So Daniel Lee Lewis is the greatest actor, I would say, hands down, sort of unquestionably yeah. all the time. And, you know, and, and especially method acting, like no one can compare to the degree of insanity. And I use that word in a very positive way <laughs> that yeah. he goes into. And so when I started studying, looking into how he gets into roles, what drew me is, you know, one director, the guy who uh, directed him in My Left Foot and I think um, in the name of the father, he said, never have I seen anybody come as close to complete obliteration of the self as Daniel. Now you think about that in the concept of personal growth, right? This is a man who come, and if you look at the, all the great method actors, including Daniel and other, other ones, would they would start thinking and feeling and dreaming as their character, not as themselves. And the, imagine the power of that. You can completely shed an identity to construct a new identity. Now you apply that in the personal growth realm. It was, it was mind blowing to me that that had, hadn't been really thought about in the personal growth realm. Right. Mm -hmm. But to me, there has been no better tool for personal growth because the, the beautiful thing in that is it starts, you start to see how malleable your sense of identity is. You know, Jim Carrey talks about this when he did that movie. Uh, man, what is it? Man on the moon. Man on the Moon, yes, yeah. where he played Andy Kaufman and how he realized how entirely malleable and how how um, um, fragile his identity was because he could he could change it so fast, fairly easily. I wouldn't say easily. Of course, every method actor works their ass off to do that, but to, to remove that sense. So every construct we have around our identity 
we, we get so attached onto, right? We think this is who we are, but through this process, you realize that this is not who I am and I can let it all go. And there's this paradoxical thing that happens when you do that. It actually allows you to go deeper into yourself and explore yourself because now you're doing that from a place of not being attached to that version of yourself as your own identity. And I'll make that concrete in what I mean. So like, for example, as I started going deeper and deeper into this, right, I'd gone through my divorce. I was single and I was training at this point, already training for Antarctica. That's what even drew me to method acting, looking for every edge I could find to mm-hmm. train the mind, body, spirit for this. And I realized, you know, there was a part of me feeling lonely. Like now I was in a relationship and I didn't want to admit it to myself because almost like admitting that to myself meant a sort of degree of weakness. Sure. It means I'm weak if I'm lonely, especially considering I'm planning on going 110 days for Antarctica. No, man, like I don't, that's not who I am. But when I studied, when I got into this practice of method acting, it allowed me to go there because I could att- I could identify that 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 thing is there, but not be attached onto it as my identity because my identity is completely a fa- it's not real. It's malleable. My identity is not this version of me. It's who I'm creating. Because in the process of method acting, all that matters is the character. So when you see Daniel Day Lewis in like let's say Build a Butcher for Gangs of New York, yeah. he's not reacting to the to the thing as Daniel. He's reacting as Build a Butcher. Mm-hmm. So his own ver- his own stuff doesn't matter. All that matters is the is the character and the needs of the character and the desires of the character and the motivations of the character, right? So when you apply that to who you want to create, you realize that whatever this version of me as we were talking about earlier, right? Releasing attachment to your own thoughts and feelings the method acting process is one of the most powerful tools I've discovered to release my own attachment to this identity because this version of me doesn't fucking matter. And it's right. like, and, and you don't say that in like, it doesn't mean you ignore yourself. As I said, you're actually getting closer to yourself, but you're not attaching onto that as your identity. And that was incredibly cool. So it was one of the coolest things to study, uh, especially Daniel Day-Lewis among method, other great method actors as well. But yeah. I was studying all of them and like watching their videos, reading their interviews. But Daniel Day-Lewis was unreal how he gets yeah. into uh, character. Oh, that's, that's amazing. I remember hearing like, I think Jim Caviezel, when he did The Passion of the Christ, started to think in, I think it was Latin or Aramaic, like the, the yeah, language they were speaking it. in that. And yeah. so as he was just going through his day, he started to think in that. He's like, yeah. that's when, you know, like you, you're going to, a different level, but I love, I mean, you know, people call this the avatar, like an avatar and stuff like that, but it's like, it's, it's having that switch over, like, you know, Kobe's been famous for that in all his yeah. work black and Mama, you know, exactly. the black is black mom. And it's one yeah. of my favorite Kobe stories he said was he used to listen to like the Halloween theme of yeah, Michael exactly. Myers, like yeah. <laughs> getting ready for the game. Like, cause he was just turning that switch. And when yeah. he stepped off the court, he was with his, you know, kids yeah. and he was with his daughters and you can change, but Stu McGill talked about that uh, when I had him on a podcast where he talked about high level power lifters like deadlifters when they're stepping up to the platform, the mindset that like the chemical release, the biology is that that's actually going in their body when they're attempting that max lift is the same as a murderer in the act of committing the act of murder. Yeah. It's like from that. And the way he said it too, it's put me back in my chair. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is freaking <laughs> crazy, but it's kind of a similar thing. It's like, and I, I think it's an, it's such an important lesson. I think that we can do for any type of growth that we're trying to do. Like it needs to go to more extreme. I think there's a very, you know, just big message in our culture, Akshay of like incremental steps, which is great. Like, yeah, you should do that. But approach it in a way like a savage a little bit. Like, I mean, get into this line and like push your boundaries because oftentimes you probably can do a lot more than you give yourself, you know, capability. And the only way to probably do that is to put yourself in some 
sort of situation like this. T.S. Eliot famously said, one of my favorites is only uh, only those who risk going too far can find out how far they can go. You know, to your point, it's like and it's look, it's a duality. Both can coexist. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You take incremental steps, but you also go leap off the edge and you find out, you know, in my trainings, I've gotten heat exhaustion. I've gotten hypothermia because I like I did an eight minute river dip in Vermont in the middle of winter in a a river. And I ended up getting hypothermia. I I pushed. I'm not not, like I'm not saying everybody should do this. But the point is, I was fine. I recovered. I had pushed from two to five. And I'm like, I'm going to push the edge. And I'm like, all right, that was a little too far, you know? So, uh, so the point is though, play on those edges. You'll find some, you'll find where that line is and you'll keep experimenting and, and kind of playing with that. I've gotten heat exhaustion from multiple times from training on the edge in Arizona in like 115 degrees. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was, it sucked while I was experiencing it, full body cramps and all that is horrifically painful, yeah. but such a beautiful thing to play on those edge. So it is a duality of taking the steps, but also leaping off the edge. It's not mm. like they both can coexist yeah. in the, in the process of our own evolution. Yeah. So what do you think it is that kind of holds people back from that? Do you think it's just fear and just how we view like, you know, being afraid of things or like, we're just afraid to step out of our comfort zone. I'm sure a lot of people have asked you about like this and all the, and the work and the talks that you've done and stuff like that. Like, yeah. what do you, what do you think as like, what do you think it is? Like, is it just, we're such a comfortable culture right now of this, that everything is just very convenient and we don't have that. We don't need to be savages if we don't need yeah. to, like, do you think that's the main culprit? You know, if you look at it, evolutionary speaking, right, our brain is still very much a caveman, cave woman like brain, mm-hmm. right? So we were designed for a world where adversity was the norm and comfort was not. So we, we, if you look at evolution, like the history of humanity, we're constantly doing things to make our lives easier and easier and easier and easier and easier. Because there was a time where we were being chased by animals and we could die rapidly, right? <laughs> so inevitably, we're like, this really sucks. I'm going to make my life a little easier. Mm-hmm. And now we've gone so far down that edge where we don't have to worry about constantly dying. But that's not the, that's not the answer. And so now it's like uh, it, we, we live in this little bubble. And inevitably, just evolutionarily speaking, we're, we're afraid of the unknown because that unknown can be scary, right? The brain's fundamental role is to keep us alive, at the top priority, not to make us happy, but to keep us alive. So it's asking ultimately, is this thing going to kill us? So as that saying goes, the devil, you know, is greater than the devil. You don't. Mm. So I will stay in this version of my own discomfort because that other discomfort could be far worse. So we're so scared of leaping off that edge for the, for the fear that we might fall and hit ourselves hard in this pain and the fear of avoiding that pain. We, we live in this kind of static numbness, right? Uh, I think was it Henry David Thoreau who said most men live. And I would argue most people live lives of quiet desperation because we're static and numb. But the thing is, if you want to experience a high, you have to experience a low. You cannot have a summit without a valley. You cannot have darkness without light. You know, like when I came out of the darkness, especially the first time in the seven days, and I took off my mask, I was in Black Forest in Germany. They, after coming out, they put a dead mask on me, brought me to the deck, and I took off my mask. And the way the world looked in those few moments, I mean, I've never seen the light as luminous and as bright, as powerful, as visceral as it was in that moment moved to tears. And I remember thinking to myself that this deep sense of gratitude for every bit of suffering I've ever experienced in my life up to that point, because I realized again, in a very visceral way that you cannot really know the light unless you've first been in the dark. I could not have seen the light the way I saw it in that moment. Had I not spent seven days in darkness, you have to know pain to truly know pleasure. And it's the fear of 
going into deeper pain that has, because the nature of pain is that it sucks. You know, those who like those, like, like even when I first got into ultra running and stuff, I always thought these guys are superhuman. Like the ultra runners are, they don't experience pain and that's why they're able to run it. But that's not true. Every one of the ultra runners, everyone who does the things that I do, I do too. We experience pain. It yeah. fucking sucks in my <laughs> It really fucking sucks. But we've just learned to be with that pain and a transcendent because that transcendence is aliveness. It's awe. It's God, man. It's, it's everything. And so, I think it's the fear of going deeper into the pain cave that actually prevents us from really experiencing the aliveness that life has to offer. But you can't know, you know, you if you want to experience the heights of awe, you have to explore the depths. Of yeah. And I think that's what we're seeking. You know, if we boil it down to the very core of why are we even here? Why do anything ultimately from going to Antarctic or anything? Mm -hmm. I think we're seeking, yes, meaning, but we're seeking an experience of being alive. We want to feel awe. Yeah, You know, and anybody listening to this, how often do you get to experience awe? And if you really want to know awe, know what it's like to be without, know what it's like to be in pain. Like as a, to, to this day, man, I take a hot shower and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it because I know, right. it, you know what it's like when it's gone and I know it's about to be gone again. You know, you mm -hmm. need contrast to give life its flavor, to give life its value, you know, so play on the edges of those contrasts. No yeah. pain to appreciate pleasure and play with pleasure as well, right? Play on all the contrasts, you know, it's, it's really being without that makes you appreciate being with and yeah. you have to go there though. Yeah. That's, and it's a pathway to really finding gratitude as well. Yeah. You know, I heard, I heard this quote recently that I loved is gratitude is not a mere practice. It's an act of courage. And it's like, that. yeah, that's really, so, and, that's really cool. yeah. And it's like, I mean, to find the gratitude in something when it's really dark, it can almost feel wrong. It can almost feel disingenuous. It's like, no, I feel like shit. I'm in pain. Like, how can I be grateful for this? When in reality, when you find the gratitude in that and you can be grateful. And I would assume like when you're in one of the expeditions that you've been building up for this and you're in the midst of a storm, when the thing is hitting you at 60 knots in the back, it's like, and as you said, like you're smiling during that, it's like. Yeah. Like to find gratitude in that, like yeah. that's, that's awe inspiring to me. And and when something's awe inspiring, it, it pulls you back. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Like right now, like it's a different, you know, type of feeling there, but it is, it's not, it's not found in the comfort of the air conditioned home and the house. And I think, you know, in the world that I am in, which is, you know, health and fitness and strength, it's like pushing yourself to you know, to master something, to kind of find it, to get into the boring work and really push the edge and to build it in. You have to go there sometimes. Like you can't just stay in that own lane. Otherwise you're, you're just really, you're, you're limiting yourself to some of the most amazing things that you yeah. can find that are just not just laying around for everyday life. You have to put yourself in that darkness, as you said, in order to see that light. Yeah, absolutely, man. You will, yeah. You're missing out on life if you don't go there. Yeah. So Akshay, dude, you're fucking amazing, man. I really appreciate you right. taking the time yeah. on this. Seriously. I, I love all the work that you're doing leading from example with this. So I can't wait to hear all about this journey of everything that you're doing. And hopefully uh, you can come back maybe afterwards and we can talk more about it after you do this. Yeah, brother. Yeah. Thank you so much for having awesome. me on. Man. Absolutely. If people want to, if people want to follow up with everything that you're doing, all the content that you put, what's the best place that we can direct them? Uh, you can find me at fearvana.com. That's F-E-A-R-V-A-N-A. -A -A. Uh, Instagram, I share the journey, share the lessons, fearvana. And then the book fearvana is on Amazon and paperback, Kindle Audible. All the profits of the book, we donate to various causes that we support as well. So any one of those places. Awesome. Brother, grateful for you. Thank you Thanks, so much, brother. listeners. 
Thank you so much. I'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you found some great value here. And if you like this episode, please drop a comment and leave us a five-star rating and review. It does more to build the show than you can imagine. And do not forget to check out and join the Strength Connection Facebook group. In this group, I share the biggest takeaways and lessons from these amazing conversations, as well as training and strength tips for pursuing mastery and fulfillment in life. This group is filled with individuals looking to take full control over their strength, and it's the perfect space to explore new ideas and to share your journey. And you'll also get exclusive access to the Strength Connection Mastery Seminars. It's a deep dive into the physical, mental, and spiritual training that you can begin using immediately. So do not wait. Go now. Seriously, go. I right, much love to you. Thank you so much, and I'll catch you on the next one.